When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Mini Sacrifice, written by Frances Harper in 1869. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, born in 1825, was one of the first black women to be published in the United States. She worked with William Still to help refugee slaves find freedom in Canada through the Underground Railroad and was an activist with the American Anti-Slavery Society. In 1894, she helped found the National Association of Colored Women and served as vice president. She died at age 85 in 1911. Many Sacrifice was originally published as a serialization of three novels in the Christian Recorder, a journal by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Many Sacrifice is the story of a woman living in the North whose identity and heritage is kept from her until she unexpectedly meets her birth mother, an escaped slave. She marries a man whose racial identity and heritage were also kept from him, and they move to the South to participate in uplifting and empowering members of their race. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. But the pleasant home life of Louise and Minnie was destined to be rudely broken up. 
he began to receive threats and anonymous letters such as these. Louise LaCroix, you are a doomed man. We are determined to tolerate no scalawags nor carpetbaggers among us. Beware, the sacred serpent has hissed. But Louise, brave and resolute, kept on the even tenor of his way, although he never left his home without some forebodings that he tried in vain to cast off. But his young wife, being less in contact with the brutal elements of society in that sin-cursed region, did not comprehend the danger as Louise did, and yet she could not help feeling anxious for her husband's safety. They never parted without her looking after him with a sigh and then turning to her school or whatever work or reading she had on her hand, she would strive to suppress her heart's forebodings. But the storm about to burst and to darken forever the sunshine of that home was destined to fall on that bare young head. Imperative business called Louise from home one night. Minnie stood at the door and said, Louise, I hate to have you go. I have been feeling so badly here lately as if something was going to happen. Come home as soon as you can. I will, darling, he said, kissing her tenderly again and again. I do feel rather loath to leave you, but death is everywhere always lurking in ambush. A man may escape from an earthquake to be strangled by a hare. So, darling, keep in good spirits till I come home. Minnie stood at the door watching him till he was out of sight, and then, turning to her mother with a sigh, she said, What a wretched state of society. When he goes, I never feel easy till he returns. I do wish we had a government under which our lives would be just as safe as they were in Pennsylvania. Ellen felt very anxious, but she tried to hide her disquietude and keep many spirits from sinking. And so she said, this is a hard country. We color people have seen our hard times here. But mother, don't you sometimes feel bitter toward these people who have treated you so unkindly? No, Minnie, I used to, but I don't now. God says we must forgive, and if we don't forgive, he won't forgive. But mother, how did you get to feeling so? Why, honey, I used to suffer until my heart was almost ready to burst, but I learned to cast my burden on the Lord, and then my misery all passed away. My burden fell off at the foot of the cross, and I felt that my feet were planted on a rock. How wonderful, said Minnie. Is this faith? How real it is to them. How near some of these suffering people have drawn to God. Yes, said Ellen. Mrs. Sumter had a color woman to whom they were real mean and cruel, and one day they whipped her and beat her on her feet to keep her from running away. But she made up her mind to leave, and so she packed up her clothes to run away. But before she started, I believe she kneeled down and prayed and asked what she should do. And something reasoned with her and said, stand still and see what I'm going to do for you. And so she unpacked her clothes and stayed. And now the best part of it was this. Millie's son had been away, 
and he came back and brought with him money enough to buy his mother, for he had been out begging money to buy her, and so Millie got free. And she was mighty glad that she had stayed, because when he'd come back, if she had been gone, he would not have known where to find her. Well, it is wonderful. Somehow these people have passed through the darkness and laid their hands on God's robe of love and light and have been sustained. It seems to me that some things they see clearer through their tears. Mother, said Minnie, as it is Saturday, I will visit some of my scholars. Well, Minnie, I would. You look troubled and maybe you'll feel better. Yes, Mother, I often feel strengthened after visiting some of these good old souls and getting glimpses into their inner life. I sometimes ask them, after listening to this story of their past wrongs, what has sustained you? What has kept you up? And the almost invariable answer has been the power of God. Some of these poor old souls who have been turned adrift to shift for themselves don't live by bread alone. They live by bread and faith in God. I asked one of them a few days since, are you not afraid of starving? And the answer was, not while God lives. After Minnie left, she visited a number of lowly cabins. The first one she entered was the home of an industrious couple who were just making a start in life. The room in which Minnie was had no window lights, only an aperture that supplied them with light, but also admitted the cold. Why don't you have window lights, said Minnie. Oh, we must crawl before we walk. And yet, even in this humble home, they had taken two orphan children of their race and were giving them food and shelter. And this kindness to the orphans of their race, many found to be a very praiseworthy practice among some of those people who were not poorer than themselves. The next cabin she entered was very neat, though it bore evidences of poverty. The woman, in referring to the past, told her how her child had been taken away when he was only about two years old and how she had lost all trace of him and would not know him if he stood in her presence. How did you feel, said Minnie? I felt as I was going to my grave, but I thought if I wouldn't get justice here, I would get it in another world. My husband, said another, asked if God is a just God how would such a slavery be? And something answered and said, such shan't always be. And you couldn't beat it out of my husband's head that the spirit didn't speak to him. And thus the morning waned away and many returned calmer than when she had left. A holy peace stole over her mind. She felt that for high and low, rich and poor, there was a common refuge that there was no corner so dark that the light of heaven could not shine through, and that these people in their ignorance and simplicity had learned to look upon God as a friend coming near to them in their sorrows and taking cognizance of their wants and woes. Many loved to listen to these beautiful stories of faith and trust. To her, they were grand aspirations to faith and duty. Sometimes many would think, when listening to some dear-aged saint, 
I can't teach these people religion. I must learn from them. Refreshed and strengthened, she returned home and began to work upon a dress for a destitute and orphan child. And when night came, she retired quite early, being somewhat wearied with her day's work. During his absence, Luis had been among the freedmen in a new settlement where he had lately established a school where, notwithstanding all their disadvantages, he was pleased to see evidences of growth and progress. There was an earnestness and growing manliness that commanded his respect. They were beginning to learn the power of combination and gave but little heed to the cajoling words, we are your best friends. Don't you think, Louis said to an intelligent freedman, that the rebels are your best friends? I'll think so when I lose my senses. But you are ignorant, Louis said to another one. How will you know whom to vote for? Well, if I don't, I know how not to vote for a rebel. How do you know you didn't vote for a rebel? said Louise to another one who came from one of the most benighted districts. I voted for one of my own color, as if treason and a black skin were incompatible. In the evening, Louise called the people together and talked with them, trying to keep them from being discouraged, for the times were evil and the days were very gloomy. The impeachment had failed. State after state in the North had voted against enfranchising the colored man in their midst. The spirit of the lost cause revived, murders multiplied. The Ku Klux spread terror and death around. Every item of Northern meanness to the colored people in their midst was a message of hope to the rebel element of the South, which had only changed. Ballot and bullet have failed but another resort was found in secret assassination. Men advocating equal rights did so at the peril of their lives, for violence and murder were rampant in the land. All those dark and weary days when politicians were flattering for place and murdered union men were sleeping in their bloody shrouds. Luis's courage did not desert him and he tried to nerve the hearts of those that were sinking with fear in those days of gloom and terror. His advice to the people was, defend your firesides if they're invaded, live as peaceably as you can, spare no pains to educate your children, be saving and industrious, try to get land under your feet and homes over your heads. My faith is very strong in political parties, but as the world has outgrown other forms of wrong, I believe that it will outgrow this also. We must trust and hope for better things. What else could he say? And yet there were times when his words seemed to him almost like bitter mockery. Here was outrage upon outrage committed upon these people, and to tell them to hope and wait for better times seemed like speaking hollow words. Oh, he longed for a central administration strong enough to put down violence and misrule in the South. If Johnson was clasping hands with rebels and traitors, was there no power in Congress to give at least security to life? 
Must they wait till murder was organized into an institution and life and property were at the mercy of the mob? And if so, would not such a government be a farce and such a civilization a failure? With these reflections passing through his mind, he fell asleep, but his slumber was restless and disturbed. He dreamed, but it seemed so plain to him that he thought it was hardly a dream, that many came to his side and pressed her lips to his, but they were very pale and very cold. He reached out his hand to clasp her, but she was gone. But as she vanished, he heard her say, my husband. Restless and uneasy, he arose. There was a strange feeling around his soul, a great sinking and depression of his spirits. He could not account for his feelings. He arose and walked the floor and looked up at the heavens, but the night was very bright and beautiful. Still, he could not shake off his strange and sad forebodings, and as soon as it was light, he started for home. In the afternoon, when the body had been prepared for the grave, the sorrowing friends gathered around, tearfully noting the look of peace and rest which had stolen over the pale, dead face when all traces of the death agony had passed away by the contraction of the muscles. That is just the way she looked yesterday, said a sad-eyed woman whose face showed traces of a deep and fearful sorrow. Luis drew near, for he was eager to hear any word that told him of many before death had robbed her of life, and him of peace. He came near enough to hear, but not to interrupt the conversation. She was at my house yesterday trying to comfort me when I was telling her how these seconds used to coolize us. I was telling her about my poor daughter Amy and what a sprightly pert piece she was and how them awful seconds took my poor child and hung her. Hung? Aunt Susan, oh how was that? said half a dozen voices. Well, you see, it was just this way. My daughter Amy was a mighty nice child and Massa could trust her with anything. So when them Lincoln soldiers gone through this place, Massa got her to move some of his things over to another place. Now when Amy see the soldiers had come through, she was mighty glad, as she said in a kind of childish way, I so glad I'm gonna marry a Lincoln soldier and set up housekeeping for myself. I don't expect she wasn't honest by marrying the soldier, but she did want her freedom. Well, nobody could blame her for that. Well, freedom's a mighty good thing. I don't like it. I just loves it, said one of Aunt Sue's auditors. And I does too, cause I'd rather live on bread and water than be back in the old place. But go on, Aunt Susan. Well, when she said that, that miserable old Heston. Heston, I know that wretch. I bound the devil's waiting on him now. Got his pitchfork already. Well, he had my po' girl tooken up, and po' child, she was beat shameful, and then they had her up before the soldiers and had her tried for saying the sedentary words, and then they had my po' girl hung. And the poor old woman bowed her head and rocked her body to and fro. Well, she continued after a moment's pause, 
I was telling that sweet angel there my trouble, and she was mighty sorry and sat there and cried, and then said, Mrs. Thomas, I hope in a better world that you see a joy according to all the days wherein you have seen sorrow. Bless her sweet heart, she got in the shining gate for me, but I bound to meet her on the sunny banks of deliverance. And she was at my house yesterday, said another. She come to see if I wanted anything, and I tell her I'd like to have a little flannel because I had the rheumatiz so bad, and she said I should have it. Then she asked me if I didn't like freedom best, and I told her I'd rather live in a corn crib, and so I would. It's hard getting along, but I hope for better times. And then she took down the Bible and read with that sweet voice of hers about the eagle stirring up in her nest. And then she said, when the old eagle wanted the young to fly, she broke up the nest. And the little eagles didn't know what that was the matter, but somehow they didn't feel comfortable because the little twigs and sticks sticking them. And then they would work their wings and that was the way she said we must do. The old nest of slavery was broke up, but she said we mustn't get discouraged, but we must plume our wings for higher flying. Oh, she did tell it so pretty. I wish I could say it like she did. It did my heart so much good. Poor thing, she done gone and folded her wings in the heavenly mansion. I wish I was alongside of her, but I was bound to meet her because I'm going to set out afresh for heaven and eternal glory. And thus did these stricken children of sorrow unconsciously comfort the desolate and almost breaking heart of Louise LaCroix. And their words of love and hope were like rays of light shimmering amid the gloomy shadows that overhung his suddenly darkened life. Surely, thought Louise, if the blessings and tears of the poor and needy and the prayers of him who was ready to perish would crystallize a path to the glory land, then many's exit from earth must have been over a bridge of light above whose radiant arches hovering angels would delight to bend. While these thoughts were passing through his mind, a knock was heard at the door and Louise rose to open it and then he saw a sight which shook all his gathered firmness to tears. Headed by the eldest of many scholars came a procession of children, each one bearing a bunch of fairest and brightest flowers to spread around the couch of their beloved teacher. Some kissed her, and others threw themselves beside the corpse and wept bitter, burning tears. All shared in Louise's grief, for all had lost a dear, good friend and loving instructor. Louis summoned all the energies of his soul to bear his mournful loss. It was his task to bow to the chastener and let his loved one go, feeling that when he had laid her in the earth, that he left her there in hope of a better resurrection. Life with this solemn responsibility still met him, its earnest duties still confronted him, and though he sometimes felt like a weary watcher at the gates of death, longing to catch a glimpse of her shining robes and the radiant light of her glorified face, yet he knew it was his work to labor and to wait. 
Sorrow and danger still surrounded his way, and he felt his soul more strongly drawn out than ever to share the fortunes of the colored race. He felt there were grand possibilities stored up in their future. The name of the Negro had been associated with slavery, ignorance, and poverty, and he determined as far as his influence could be exerted to lift that name from the dust of the centuries and place it among the most honored names in the history of the human race. He still remained in the South, for many's grave had made the South to him a sacred place, a place in which to labor and to wait until peace like bright dew should descend where carnage had spread ruin around and freedom and justice like the glorified angels should reign triumphant where violence and slavery had held their fearful carnival of shame and crime for ages. Earnestly, he set himself to bring around the hour when peace, white-robed and pure, should move over rifts of ruin deep and wide, when her hand should span with lasting love the chasms rent by hate and pride. And he was blessed in his labors of love and faith. Conclusion And now, in conclusion, may I not ask the indulgence of my readers for a few moments, simply to say that Louise and Minnie are only ideal beings touched here and there with a coloring from real life. But while I confess, not wishing to misrepresent the most lawless of the Ku Klux, that many has only lived and died in my imagination. May I not modestly ask that the lesson of many shall have its place among the educational ideas for the advancement of our race? The greatest want of our people, if I understand our wants aright, is not simply wealth, nor genius, nor mere intelligence, but live men and earnest, lovely women whose lives shall represent not a stagnant mass, but a living force. We have wealth among us, but how much of it is ever spent in building up the future of the race, in encouraging talent and developing genius? We have intelligence, but how much do we add to the reservoir of the world's thought? We have genius among us, but how much can it rely upon the colored race for support? Take even the Christian recorder. Where are the graduates from college and high school whose pens and brains lend beauty, strength, grace, and culture to its pages? If, when their school days are over, the last composition shall have been given at the examination, will not the disused faculties revenge themselves by rusting? If I could say it without being officious and intrusive, I would say to some who are about to graduate this year, do not feel that your education is finished when the diploma of your institution is in your hands. Look upon the knowledge you have gained only as a stepping stone to a future which you are determined shall grandly contrast with the past. While some of the authors of present day have been weaving their stories about white men marrying beautiful quadroon girls who, in so doing, were lost to us socially, I conceived of one of the same class to whom I gave a higher, holier destiny, a life of lofty self-sacrifice and beautiful self-consecration, 
finished at the post of duty and rounded off with the fiery crown of martyrdom, a circlet which ever changes into a diadem of glory. The lesson of many sacrifices is this, that it is braver to suffer with one's own branch of the human race, to feel that the weaker and the more despised they are, the closer we will cling to them for the sake of helping them, than to attempt to creep out of all identity with them in their feebleness for the sake of mere personal advantages, and to do this at the expense of self-respect and a true manhood and a truly dignified womanhood that with whatever gifts we possess, whether they be genius, culture, wealth, or social position, we can best serve the interests of our race by a generous and loving diffusion than by a narrow and selfish isolation, which, after all, is only one type of the barbarous and antisocial state. Are you still up? Girl, good night.